when you're burnt out, you can barely process your thoughts. You can barely process your emotions. So how are you supposed to make a massive career move and try to pull all that logic together? It is almost impossible. What do you think is the most common mistake that people make when making a career change, especially when they're burnt out? On today's episode of Give Yourself Some Leeway, I'm joined by Troy Heiner, a career change expert. And we talk about all of this and how people hold themselves back when it comes to making a career change when their current job no longer serves them. And how to position yourself as an expert and springboard yourself into your professional success. As always, you can join the conversation over at GiveYourselfSomeLeeway.com. You can reach out to me, send me a voice note or a DM on Instagram at Eugene.Leeway. And I really hope that you enjoy today's episode with Troy Heiner and how you too can accelerate your career growth and transition into a job that serves your potential. Troy, welcome to Give Yourself Some Leeway and thank you for taking the time today to join the show. Thank you for having me, Eugene. This is uh, this is my pleasure. So, tell me a little bit about your background and what got you into coaching, and sure. what? Yeah, what? What? Why do you do what you do? Okay. Well, um, I spent thirty-seven years working for the federal government, and I worked for three different agencies actually during my career, all of which were part of the intelligence community. And I had the opportunity to do lots of different things in that career. I worked overseas. I worked at different field sites. Um, I had lots of different types of jobs and responsibilities. When I graduated from college, actually, I started working for the government when I was still in college as a co-op student, uh, as an engineer. Uh, but then I kind of moved more into project management, um, field engineering, um, like building things physically with my hands. Uh, that was fun, but also kind of frustrating and tiring. Um, and then I started getting more into budget and project management and then personnel management. Um, and for, I guess, the latter half of my career was mostly spent being a manager of fairly large organizations. At one, at one time, I had over 300 people that were in my organization and I managed, there were four branches. Of, so I had four direct reports and um, and actually a team of like six other advisors that I also uh, managed. Um, and then there were 300, over 300 people in that organization. It was mostly contractors, but quite a few civilians and quite a few military folks. Um, so um, I, certainly experienced my own burnout when I had that many people that I was responsible for and the people that I was responsible for also were dealing with burnout. It was a, working for the federal government in the organization I did was a fairly stressful, um, fast paced kind of, kind of operation. Um, uh, I think at one, one of my bosses during this time said that we have seven number one priorities and any one of those seven could be the number one priority of the day. But when you walked into work that day, you didn't know which one it was going to be. So it was really difficult to operate when you just did not know what your focus was going to be that day. And by the time somebody told you, you might have changed. <laughs> so, um, it, it, you know, it was just a very difficult place to 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 work and expectations were high. Right. You know, um, failure was not an option. You know, that kind of that kind of terminology was bandied about a lot when you're working in the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. Uh, but failure did happen fairly regularly. And then you had to deal with it when it did. And that was always stressful and led to burnout as well. Um, so I guess the thing that really um, did it for me and, and caused me to completely changed my perspective on things and take a different approach for the latter 
eight years or so of my career was I had spent one of those days where I was in project project review meetings. These these happen quarterly, and they would take up a week or two every quarter, where you know I would be briefed on the successes and challenges and failures of 60 some odd projects for over the span of those two weeks. And I, it was meeting after meeting after meeting all day long, no lunch, no bathroom break, <laughs> no drinking water. Um, I was held captive for the entire day by the, by the prime contractor that was managing all these projects. And by the time I got back to my office and wanted to actually have some conversations with my people to find out how their day was going and what I could do to help them. I realized that this was yet another day where I spent all day doing nothing to help my people. Um, I was managing things uh, and I was not leading people when I just made the decision at that point. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a mid-level manager anymore. I want to do things that help people be successful in their in their career aspirations. And so that's when I started the journey of becoming a coach. I didn't even know that's what I was going to end up being at the time, right? I just said, I'm tired of spending all of my time and energy basically having the same meetings every quarter and not really feeling like things are progressing. Uh, uh, and I certainly didn't think I was living in, in alignment with my own personal values. So, um, so I went to my bosses and said, I'm done doing this management thing. I want to do something else. And at the time I had spent a lot of time doing technical recruiting, going on college campuses and trying to recruit people to come to work for the agency. And I said, well, we have this critical work role that we need to fill, uh, people who are experts at developing capabilities. So software engineers and analysts and, and people who are good at writing code. Um, and, um, and we used to be an employer of choice for people with those skills, but over time, um, people with those skills were looking for employment with Google or Microsoft or places like that, right? They weren't coming to work for the government because the government can't really match the pay that Google or benefits really. Uh, if you want to be able to take a nap at work or, you know, get a free lunch or whatever, the government's not going to allow you to do that. Right. So, um, so it was a, a big thing, right? If we don't have a, a, a steady pipeline of people with that talent coming into um where I worked, it was going to be a, a, a mission killer, right? We weren't going to be able to compete with our adversaries. Um, so I spent a year on a hiring pilot to try to improve the whole process of hiring people with those talents. Um, getting a government job, especially in the intelligence community, requires a, a, a background investigation and a security clearance, and that takes a lot of time. And if you have options to look at other opportunities, by the time the government gets around to giving you that final job offer, you probably already have 12 other offers from other companies paying you twice what the government can pay, right? So you're like, thanks, but no thanks, government. I'm going to go work for Google. Um, so we were trying to shorten that process, which used to take up nine to 12 months to hire somebody. We're trying to get that down to four still a long time, but if we were recruiting properly uh, and the right kind of person, they might be willing to, to put up with a four-month hiring process. Um, nobody should have to put up with waiting to hear whether you've been hired for a job for a year, um, especially when you're graduating college and you want to start earning money, paying off your student loans, that kind of stuff, right? So I spent a year doing that, um, working on this hiring pilot and using technology to find the right people, communicate with the right people, interview them remotely, right? This was before COVID where everybody got used to communicating via uh, via Zoom and stuff. Um, we used to do all of our interviews in person. So we'd have to fly people in, right? And, you know, schedule a conference room 
usually not very uh, impressive. <laughs> if we're trying to recruit somebody, it's like, yeah, there's this dank little corner office somewhere that's very not not very apportioned. It's just a desk and a couple of chairs. And this is where you're going to have your job interview and, you know, working for, you know, the intelligence community is supposed to be this really cool futuristic place, right? No, <laughs> our first impressions weren't great. Um, but if everybody's interviewing via Zoom, then I guess that's not so much of a, uh, of, a of a problem, right? You can interview from the comfort of your own home. Um, so using technology, we were able to get offers, you know, the, the conditional job, job, uh, job offers out much more quickly, usually within a week. Um, the thing that still took the longest was the background investigation, everything like that. But uh, at least people knew that we were interested in them quickly from the time they applied to the time they got a job offer would be a week to 10 days. Um, and that was based upon me and a couple other folks on the team doing things that probably ran a little counter to what the HR professionals were thinking was possible. We didn't we didn't grow up in the HR world, so we didn't care. We were willing to try and experiment and, and see what worked. Um, and um, as it turns out, a lot of the things that we tried became best practices that have been used ever since. Uh, so after a year of doing that, the, um, and really all along while I was doing that, I decided to try to pursue um, opportunities in the professional development department of my organization uh, to be someone who would run career development programs. And um, so I actually ended up getting one of those positions because I kind of made a, a, uh, a sweetheart deal for them and kind of for myself as well uh, by combining two jobs into one. So essentially, I took the responsibility of someone who was in the government. They had this thing called um, uh, SARS, uh, Senior Advisory. Um, I forget what the acronym stands for, but basically people that have retired and they come back on a part-time basis to help out on, on special projects. And one of those people was running the summer internship program for people who wanted to um, find out about careers in signals intelligence. So I took that job and I also took uh, the job that was for mid-career professionals who were it was a program to take people who were technical experts and turn them into technical leaders so they could pursue leadership opportunities. So I took both of those jobs, combined them into one, which was a sweetheart deal for the organization, right? It's like, hey, you're getting, you know, one person's doing two jobs. So that saves us a billet, right? Um, so it was good for them, but it was good for me because I got to work with people who were in the middle of their careers trying to make a career change and work with people who are trying to start their careers and trying to get a career with the government. So it kind of gave me multiple perspectives on how I can help people navigate those critical uh, inflection points in their career. Um, and I could use my own experience from working from three, three different agencies, different assignments, all kinds of different things that I did was uh, actionable and relatable advice that I can give to uh, college students who are interns and technical leaders who, or technical experts who are looking to become leaders. And um, so that's what I did for the last four years in my career as I ran those two programs. And uh, and and I guess I should also say that part of how I was able to find that position, co-create that position, was because right before I quit being a mid-level manager, I was offered a, an executive coach. So this was the first time I ever had any coaching. And I saw the value of it. It was very helpful to me to have conversations with someone who wasn't my boss, who didn't work where I worked, who was giving me just you know, reflecting back what I was saying to them and giving me some things to think about. And it's like, oh, well, I never thought of pursuing that kind of opportunity before. I never thought of 
being a coach, even though that's kind of what I've done with people who I've mentored and advised throughout my career. And so it's like, hmm, I guess what I am, what I've always been is a career change expert and a coach. So when I retired from the government, I decided I was going to start my own coaching business to help people change careers. And originally, I was focusing on veterans because um, I saw when I worked for the government how challenging it was for veterans, you know, people who were in uniform, who wanted to continue to work for the government, the kinds of stuff that they had to go through in order to basically come back and work for the for the government as a civilian. It was unbelievably uh, burdensome and, and complex, I think, because it used to be easier and people abused the process and now they made it hard, right? So, so people couldn't just, uh, um, you know, walk out one day in uniform and walk, walk in, you know, the, the, the next, the next day as, as a civilian, um, and getting paid more money to do it, right. To do what they were doing as a, as a uniform person. So, um, so veterans definitely have unique challenges and struggles. Um, and especially if you've been in the military and you were like a helicopter repairman or something like that, or a maintenance person, how do you translate those skills into something that's in the, the that's in the civilian work world, right? You know, what kind of what kind of experiences can you reflect on your resume that are going to get you good job opportunities? And the one thing that I've always known about veterans, anybody I've ever met in the service, is everyone from the lowest enlisted person all the way up to you know your um, your highest ranking um, NCOs and, and officers. It's always about leadership, personal leadership to start with, personal responsibility, and then just, you know, being part of a team and being responsible for, for each other. And, you know, anyone can take the lead at any point in time, depending on what the mission um, requires, right? So it's like, well, you need to accentuate your leadership skills on, on your resumes because that's what really translates into the civilian workplace into any workplace really it's always about leadership um so that's where i've been trying to focus on like i said with the mid-career development program that i ran is how do you take your technical knowledge and marry that up with the skills and the experiences that you have the natural strengths that you have from birth, really. I mean, there are some things that people are just innately good at. Like for me, I'm, I've always been good with numbers, which is kind of why I always got sucked into doing budget stuff at work. Um, I was good at it, didn't like it, but I was good at it. Um, so, um, yeah, that's how do you take those things and decide what it is that you're going to, um, you determine, well, you know what your values are, you know what your passions are, you know what your skills, your experiences, your strengths are. How do you take that and, and forge that into an opportunity to have a short-term and long-term career? And that's really kind of the whole um, basis of the coaching program that I'd be doing for folks look, looking to make a career change or to change there and you know to go from being employed to being retired or to go from being in the military to being a veteran right getting out of the service those are major changes in life and career that i think i can help people with i think one point that, that you made there yeah the, one point <laughs> that you made there i definitely want to touch on is that you said that you when you burnt out and you realized that uh some of the people in your team also had burnt out was that a discussion that you could bring up working for the government or working in intelligence? Was that a conversation that they were open to having? Or was that seen as a lesser priority? Uh, not initially. I, I think um, certainly uh, after 9-11, um, again, you know, it's like failure was an option, high-paced, uh, high-stress environment. Um those kinds of discussions were just tamped down, right? It's like, 
you know, um, I had a boss that said, uh, it was famous for saying she would say it over and over again. The agency works best under stress. Because recent examples show that when we needed to do something, we burned the midnight oil, we ordered the pizzas, we brought it in, we stayed until midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and came up with a solution to the problem that was right in front of us. And we would do that over and over again. And we would have lots of mission successes and we would get a lot of um, acknowledgement from downtown or whatever. It's like, you guys are doing a great job, but you can't sustain that. You can't stay in a constant state of stress and be productive. At some point, you know, you've got to sharpen the saw, right? You can't just keep whacking away at the tree with the same tools and expect that you're going to have the same results. Um, so, so I would say to her, it's like, only for a short period of time can can you be stressed. At some point, you have to rest and recover. Um, and, you know, I never shied away from having unpopular opinions uh, at, uh, at work. And so that may have led to some of my own self-induced stress and burnout um, because I didn't shy away from speaking truth to power, um, which is why there's you know, kind of a maverick component to, to my coaching program. I, you know, I tell people if everybody's doing this, that's probably not what you want to do. You want to be somewhat outside of the mainstream with your approach. Um, because if you're trying to do what everybody else is trying to do, the competition is, is too great and you're just going to get lost in the numbers and in the noise. You want to look for a way that you can distinguish yourself. And do you find a lot of people, um, when when they're in that position, as you said, they're where they're they're feeling stuck, they're feeling burnt out, they're probably looking for that change. What right. do you feel is the biggest mistake people make when they're put in that position? Well, that's kind of what I was alluding to: is doing what everybody else does, um, um, and not not asking for help. That's the biggest mistake, not asking for help. If you try to do what you think needs to be done, you're only looking at it from your point of view, from your perspective, from your base of knowledge, and that's limited, right? So that's part of where coaching comes in, mentor, mentoring, mentorship comes in, right? You need, you need wise into counsel that can, that can say, well, that approach might work for a while, right? Um, so are you thinking short term, right? Do you just want to get a new job to escape the, the hellscape that you're currently in? Because <laughs> sometimes you just go from the frying pan into the fire, right? You, you run away from a situation instead of towards something that you really want. Um, so that's part of what I try to do is like, so what is it that you really want and why? You know, that's one of the things that I... Um, one of the first exercises I have with my clients is, you know, ask yourself why you want something multiple times until you get down to the real heart of it. You know, something that's actually, um, once you can answer that why question seven, eight, nine times, you get down to something that is so compelling for you that there's no way that anything is going to stop you from, from realizing that, right? It's like, cause this is so down to my core of who I am, that there's no way I can't, I, I won't be successful. Yeah. I think one of the parts there, especially when you said about people not asking for help. And I, I think it's, it's when people feel that they can't, they feel like they can't ask for help. They don't want to be vulnerable. Right. They, they're not, they don't know how to have that conversation. So how yeah. do you, how, how do you get people to, open up in the first place to have that conversation because they're, they're, they're going to feel stuck they're going to right. want change but they're not going to want to have that open conversation yeah it's um certainly where i worked it was a very analytical and um uh, introverted workforce right uh people pretty much kept to themselves and i was that way right there were things going on in my life that i just did not talk about at work and uh, I would always be embarrassed when, um, you know, 
you didn't just get a security clearance once and then it was done right every five years or so they would reinvestigate you and and in um someone from uh um um not from secret service or you know whoever was that that did the investigations would come come around and interview managers and ask you it's like is this person still you know worth the trust and faith of the u.s government things like that but they would ask questions like so do you know their 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 family situation you know their wife their kids i'd be like i don't know <laughs> we don't talk about that right we're busy doing you know protecting the country from threats and stuff right we don't talk about stuff like that and that was another thing that's like when i when i hit my breaking point was it's like that's just wrong right um and i needed to be more human and more vulnerable and more authentic at work you know bring my whole self to work right so that other people would see what i'm doing i could be a model for the behavior that would lead to more engagement more enriching more satisfying um, a more satisfying work experience right the models that i grew up with in the agency were the ones that are like first in the office last to leave you know you know working 80 90 100 hour weeks and damn proud of it right you know that's not sustainable right and that's not the kind of life that anybody wants to live these days um you know um i joked on a podcast i had with uh, one of my other um 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 partners last week is like when when people say work life balance why do they always say work first all right you weren't born with a job, right? You were born into life. Life came first and then you got a job, maybe if you're lucky, right? Some people don't have a job, right? So if you have a job, you're lucky. Um, but um, one of the books I'm currently reading um, brings up the point that 91% of the people who want a great job don't have one. They have a job. But not a great job. Um, so unemployment is a problem, but underemployment is just as much of a problem. People are, you know, settling for a job that they have that's using only a, a mere portion of the skills and talents that they have, and they're accepting a, a, a meager salary for that because the opportunities are, they're there, but they're much harder to find um in this day and age than they used to be and that's part of the reason why you need to ask for help when you're making a career change because that person is another set of eyeballs that can see opportunities for you and i think even leaning on that a bit more is i know of a lot of people who are afraid to apply for certain jobs because they feel overqualified so they never oh, put yeah. themselves in that position. And I'm like, you want career change, but you don't want to put yourself in this new environment because you feel you're going to be overqualified in that environment. Yeah, I do. I do something again, a maverick approach, right? I'll apply for jobs I don't want. I want the interview, but I don't want the job, right? I'm going to learn something about that company, that organization, Um this is much easier to do if you're already working in a big bureaucracy and maybe you want to change to a different department, right? You can go and shadow somebody in that organization or you can go um, conduct what I call an operational interview. It's like, tell me what you guys do here and you know how does it work and how would somebody like me with this background be an asset or a value to, to, to this organization? How could we establish a working relationship? Because um, really what you're doing is you're is you're extending your your personal professional network when you have conversations like that because what most people do when they're looking to, to um find a new job is they update their resume they start looking on um indeed or um zip recruiter or something like that and they look at the job advertisements there and they apply just like hundreds and maybe thousands of other people are doing and maybe they'll get a response but most of the time they won't and they'll just keep doing that and it's like well you know the, the right job is out there for me somewhere the the best opportunities i ever got 
came from someone that I knew that said, hey, they didn't necessarily give me the job. They said, hey, I know somebody who's got a job that would be perfect for you. Why don't you give them a call? That's how it works. And um, so that's the the part of getting out of your comfort zone, right? Being a little bit more vulnerable, being a little bit more um, willing to experiment that a lot of people don't have the courage to do. But what I would say is that that kind of initiative gets noticed pretty easily and pretty quickly by hiring managers. Uh, like I said, I, I was one, right? And um, it's pretty easy to tell the people who are motivated and have um, longer term aspirations and really looking to do something with their with their skills and talents than someone who's just kind of looking for a job or just looking to get, you know, if I'm getting paid X, I want to get paid X times 10%, right? So I'm just looking for more money, but not necessarily for more responsibility or for more, or more ways for me to um, um, step up and be a leader. So getting back, getting back to what you were saying is that I, I get it. The, there's, um, there is a risk associated with putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, but um, vulnerability is actually a strength and not a weakness. A hundred percent. And again, that that's what I've been trying to preach and people are probably bleeding at the ears of me always talking about, you need to be more open. You need to be more vulnerable. It's a strength to be able to be vulnerable to others, to be able to communi communicate yourself more authentically because not a lot of people do. And, yes. and, and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable when you are vulnerable with them, but not because you're, you're making yourself look weak. You're making yourself look stronger because you can be that honest with the weakest or most vulnerable parts of yourself when no one else can. And right. I think that's what sets you apart. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, the more authentic and real you are, even in a workplace setting where it's all about the business, um, it's unrealistic to think that everybody is going to be your friend right? It's not everybody's going to be your friend. And you don't want everybody to be your friend. You want the right people. You want to associate with the right people. You don't want necessarily everybody to be your friend because certain kinds of people could actually drag you down, right? Um, you want to attract the right people to you and repel the wrong people from you, right? That That's not something that we generally we like to talk about as coaches, right? Because, you know, we're all about positivity. But again, I'm a maverick. So I talk about the positive aspects of negative thinking <laughs> in, in my coaching program. Um, so it's, um, it's one of those, um, one of those things, right? You don't need to have everybody be your friends. But if you're lucky enough to have five really good, dependable friends who have your back, you are blessed beyond measure. So this art of changing your career or let's say developing these skills so that you can be more open to changing your career, that you don't feel stuck. Um, I, I think it's become a lot more relevant, especially since people started getting scared by AI and they're like, Oh no, my job is going to be obsolete. Oh no, this, Oh no, that. And they're like, Oh, AI is going to kill jobs rather than people thinking, okay, this gives me an opportunity to try something new. But right. I feel a lot of people and you're probably um, inundated with people saying that they have no future in their career path. Um, what skills or what, what, what do you think, is um 
what's the biggest thing you feel is holding them back? For for me, I I honestly think it's when people think they have attached their personal identity to their work for so long exactly. and, and they've been, let's say, in the same job for 5, 10, 20 years. And next thing they say, oh, but this is all I know. This is all I've ever done. I couldn't possibly start a new job in a different place, a different company, a different role, a different department. Yeah, especially if you're um, in a technical career where you had to go to school and maybe get a bachelor's and a master's degree and maybe even get some certificates, right? You had to get a security plus or a A plus or, um, you know, go to Microsoft and or, or get additional training on a particular kind of technology, right? It took a lot of time, took a lot of money, took a lot of effort and energy. And if those skills become, or if those, um, yeah, if those skills and that experience becomes irrelevant, it's like, well, I don't want to do that all over again and start from scratch. But that's why uh, what you were saying about ident- you know, identifying yourself by what you know and what you do, it's an American thing, right? We you know it's how we introduce ourselves so what do you do for a living right it's like you know that's kind of the western thing is you i am what i do i think it even goes deeper than that you are when when someone asks you um like let's say how are you or or or, um who are you or or or, uh, um what do you do and people uh, i automatically say what they do for work is this right. like oh and, and and what do you do instead of being like oh this is who I am, or right. and, and and talk about your own personal values? Right. They go oh I'm a dentist, I'm a lawyer, I'm this, I'm that. Instead of I'm a father of two who lives in Florida, right? Um, and I enjoy baseball and concerts and walks on the beach, right? <laughs> that's you know, that's how I choose to introduce, introduce myself now, right? Um, you know, um, and I don't even say I'm a coach because some people don't even know what the hell that means. Right. <laughs> so, uh, it's like, well, let me show you, right. Let, let's get a, into a relationship and I will show you the value that I provide you. And then we can determine whether that's going to be something that is a, um, a formal relationship or not. But, uh, but yeah, that's, um, the, the point of where we were going with that is it's not about what you do and identifying yourself with with those um, uh, arbitrary uh, values of, of skills that I was writing this part of my book just now, right? These things can be easily commoditized, right? Your, your ability to write um, Fortran code could be valuable one minute and completely irrelevant the next. So you've got the skill to be able to write code, which you could probably learn a different programming language and still move on. But the the problem that you have, especially in technical careers, is things are changing so fast that, that by the time you master something, it may already be irrelevant. So rather than trying to master the actual language particular application you have to look at it a different way and say well how can i position myself as someone who is a easily able to navigate all of these technological changes that happens and still be productive uh, contributor to to the overall bottom line right so that's where i get into learning how to be able to shift careers is a vital skill in today's, uh, in the future of work and not necessarily um, having a particular skill set. You know, it needs to be adaptable and fluid and leadership is the key that personal leadership, personal responsibility, the, the term extreme ownership is what is really going to be the thing that kind of keeps a certain set of humans ahead of the robots and the and the and the uh and the computers right yeah i think it even let's say people 
see themselves as specialists yeah, in, right. as, as you said, especially in, in technical careers. And they feel, okay, I've specialized in this for the past 5, 10, 15 years. So I need to find a career as a specialist in this very specific, very, probably a very niche subject. Right. And they're like, oh, I can't find an exact title um, in uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah. And yeah. next thing, it in instead of looking at it more broadly and being like, okay, I have all of these... Uh, let's say specialist skills, but you've probably picked up other, let's say broader skills in the way you probably picked up leadership, communication, adaptability for going from project to project and mm -hmm. and time management. All of these things do come into play as well. And uh, it actually came up very recently for me. I did a complete career change uh, in, in my day job. I what, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it was, it was, um, something that was very daunting at first i was like okay i have um what skills are transferable and what skills are not transferable and when i did my uh let's say my own uh kind of uh self-awareness and actually looking back at what skills i do have from mm -hmm. one job i was like okay a lot of this is transferable right. i i picked up a lot of um skills and experience on the way that is transferable in whatever whatever path i choose and then the exactly. very specific skills that are not transferable it's better to learn them from scratch rather than picking up bad habits along the way and transferring them into the, in, into the new job so it was it was all a matter of perspective that if i closed myself off and said no this is the only job that i've ever had um work, working right. in a lab for about 10 years and being like no i have to find another job in a lab and that's it rather than being like no i can open myself up to a completely new career there's a lot of skills that i learned in that decade that i can transfer to a completely new career and also give that company a new perspective on how that job can be executed so exactly. um yeah exactly it was it was about taking a step back take a deep breath, take a step back and have, uh, let's say, a bird's eye view of right. what you want to achieve. Right. And Eugene, you didn't feel like you were starting over, did you? Because you knew that, that you had some things that were transferable. You weren't starting from ground zero. Exactly. You're not, you're never starting from zero. No, you're never starting from zero. But that is the trap. I think the, the, the mindset trap that a lot of successful, specialized people have right? They don't want to lose status. They don't want to lose um, um, their title, right? Um, um, we, The government constantly reorganizes, right? It's just one of those things, right? A new boss comes in, the first thing he wants to do is reorganize, you know? Um, and we had a big one about five years ago uh, before I retired. Um, you know, the entire structure or the, of the organization changed. It's, it, it flattened in certain levels and got steeper in others, right? The, the, the director only wanted six direct reports instead of 27, right? So what, you know, people who, we have this terminology, the alpha, you know, the alphas are the directorate levels, right? Those are the, the kings, you know, the, 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 the feet, the, the, the fiefal lords, right? You know, and then there's layers below that. So alpha plus one, alpha plus two, alpha plus three, alpha plus four, right? So when the reorganization happened, a lot of jobs got eliminated and new ones were created in the new structure. But a lot of people was like, well, I'm an alpha plus three chief. I'm not going to consider a position at alpha plus four, even though the alpha plus four job was brand new completely exciting you got to just basically you could create that entire business line from scratch how often do you get to do that in the government hardly ever right but they wouldn't even consider it because it's like well i'm an alpha plus three chief that would be a demotion it's like no you're getting in on the ground floor and doing something new and exciting you get to put your stamp on it let me at that job i want that job i don't care right it was an opportunity but you know some people just get kind of that that mindset around it's like Oh, I don't want to go. I don't want it to appear that I went backwards or, you know, lost status or lost, you know, gravitas. Um, and all of that is just a, um, 
a, con a conceit, a conception. It, it's 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 irrelevant, right? Where are you growing personally, right? Are you pursuing opportunities that are that are aligned with your passions and aligned with where you want to where you want to go? What do you want to learn? Are you learning something new every day? That's really what you want in a in any kind of profession, right? Is an opportunity just to keep getting better and better at what you do and not be the person who's on the mountaintop who's, you know, I've learned it all. I know it all. There's nowhere for me to go from here. Because the minute you think you know everything, that's when life is going to teach you different. <laughs> and just as you said there, as like the alpha plus tree, the people who have built this delusion almost of success that they've reached the pinnacle of their career in a way, or they, right. they 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 wouldn't dare take a step down, even if it was a, a step down again, air quotes, that could give them a wealth of experience that could excel them to alpha plus two plus one, um, in in two or three years time. If yeah. if they were open to that kind of change, but they'd rather stay stuck in their own box because they're like, no, this is my level, and. Uh, I wouldn't dare basically take a step down, which that that's that right. step down in their head could actually be a springboard exactly. to exponential success. Everybody thinks that, you know, career success is a linear progression from and truly successful people. It's not that way. It's right. Um, but the, the truly successful people don't talk about those pits of despair that they went through that springboarded them to the next opportunity, right? They only talk about their successes. They don't talk about the failures. And maybe that's something we need to do more of is, is like the struggle is part of the process. You need to struggle in order to succeed because if everything is just given to you easily, you don't know how to deal with real struggle when it happens. And that's when you, you know, hit you know slam head first into the wall and get stuck and um one of the things i talk about with my coaching program is what people do when they're trying to solve a big career obstacle is they put all their energy into the obstacle right you know um i just wrote about this in, in my book too is what if the obstacle is that you don't have the experience to get the job that you want. And the only way to get the job that you want is to have the experience, but you don't have the job, so you can't get the experience, right? It's a catch-22. What can you do, right? Can you, you know, arrange some sort of, you know, shadowing program or job sharing program? It's like, let me come work for you, you know, for, for a week, just, you know, for free, right? It's being, the, being willing to work for free Although you don't have to, but the willingness to work for free is what, again, it it you know it's that initiative that's like, huh? The the, the leaders in the organization be like, this person really wants to work here. Let's see what we can find for them, right? They have the they have the aptitude, they have the they have the drive, they have the initiative. Um, yeah, let's see let's see what we can find, right? And it may not be the greatest job to start with, right? You know. It's the whole, you know, start in a mailroom and eventually you make it up to the C-suite, right? But um, but you got to start from somewhere, and um, and you got to be willing to start from 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 those kinds of uh, those kinds of jobs. In a way, a lot of the organizations that I ran at uh, at the uh, at the agency was kind of the mailroom mailroom of the agency. It was the basement processing is right where all the data got munged into something that analysts could work with to turn into intelligence products, right? It's the computers were in the basement. I was responsible for them, but I never saw the damn things. <laughs> they were locked in a in an equipment room somewhere. I wasn't allowed to go down there, but I was responsible for them. Um, but, um, but yeah, so it was essentially the mailroom of the, of the place. And if you really wanted to learn how the agency operated, that's where you learned it. And then once you've learned that, you could go and go do other things. And my management used to get irritated with me. It's like, you just let another really good person go. It's like, do you want to keep them in this organization where they can't grow and they'd be miserable and they uh, yeah, infect 
the morale of everybody else on the team because they were aggravated and dissatisfied. No, you want them to go and maybe be the director someday, somebody at that alpha level, right? Let them go. Let them grow. Let me train somebody else. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were the we were the mailroom of the place, and I, uh, you know, I didn't have a problem with that. No, it's kind of like companies; they're afraid to train their people and make them feel like they have their own self worth that they're they have this opportunity to grow, and they're afraid that they'll want to grow and they'll take any opportunity and leave. It's almost like they'd rather not train them, make them feel worthless and never wants to leave the company that they always just feel stuck there. Right. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if you're afraid that the people, your best people will leave, they will. That's what happened a lot in the government, right? Is um, people with the skills and the ability to pursue opportunities outside of the government, they did. Once there was a saying that once you started looking, you were gone, right? Because someone was going to make you some crazy, ridiculous offer three times your current government salary, and you'd be, you'd be stupid not to take it. And they would. And then five years later, after they're, all their bills are paid and they're not worried about you know their financial situation anymore, they apply to come back to the government because now – they want to work on something where they can they have control and they can make a difference because that was the difference between being a government employee and being a government contractor. Contractors got paid more, but they had to stick within the terms of the contract, right? There was no deviation from that, right? There was no, you know, you did what the contract told said to do, right? And nothing more because otherwise people would get in trouble. If you wanted to have some ability to influence the direction of the project, you had to be the government employee, the program manager, essentially. So people wouldn't, and I would tell people to do that path. It's like, hey, you've got the potential, right? So come and learn everything you need to learn, all that foundational knowledge as an entry-level government employee. Leave, get paid a lot of money, pay all your bills, buy your house, right? You know, you know, get, you know, pay off your mortgage, all that stuff, pay off your cars, and then come back because we're going to need you because we're not growing our own talent here. We've got to get it from the outside. So if there's anyone out there who you feel is, let's say, stuck and they're looking for that career change, but they don't know what the first step to take is, um, what would you say is the first step, the first thing that they need to consider right now if they're considering a career change, but they feel stuck? Yeah, it's really what is it that you want and why? Um, you know, performing that that self assessment that self-awareness right what is the value that i uh that i have right not just to myself and to the people you know that this advice i would give oh wait a minute so the one piece of advice that i would give people if uh, they were looking to make a career change is to really um, take the time to assess the value that you think that you, that you have for um, the position that you aspire to and why you aspire to that position. Right? It goes back to what I was saying about uh, asking yourself why numerous times until you get to the real heart of why you want to do something. Um, really take the time to assess um, your skills, your talents, your values, your strengths, your passions, your energy sources, right? What types of jobs would energize you? What types of jobs would drain you? Um, and yes, ask for someone to uh, be a sounding board for you to see if um, there might be some biases or some, some um, uh, false beliefs that are getting in the way of uh, of the pursuit of the kind of job that you really want for yourself. Yeah, that resonates a lot with me, uh, especially where I was asking myself all those whys. And uh, my word for 2023, my, um, my power phrase was 
growth. Any decision I make has to be around whether that's education, information, who I spend my time with, what I eat even. It's like, is this helping me to grow in some way? And uh, what it came all came down to was, I was like, why am I, am I so obsessed with growth at the moment? And I was like, is this just because I'm a high achiever? And is this a sense of success, achievement still coming through me? And it all came down to, I want to have impact on others because I found that's what fueled me. That's And that's what drove me to, to once I realized that I was having influence and impact positively on others and helping them to grow. I realized that's what I got my job satisfaction out of, my sense of fulfillment. And exactly. when, I, when I found out then that I, I kind of had to take a step back from the role that I was in, and I was like, why do I do this job? And the answer I gave myself was because it's all I've known for the past 10 years. It's comfortable. It's convenient. And uh, I was like, okay, comfortable, convenient, and it's pretty much all that you know for the past 10 years. Are they factors for growth? And I was like, okay, no, they're not. They're not. None of those are congruent for growth. And I found that I was like, okay, I need to put myself in a, in a completely new space where I feel I can grow, where I have room to grow. And that's when I started considering um, my career change. And, I, and, and then because I was so focused on that growth, and I knew that it couldn't come from a space where it was convenient, where it was comfortable and uh, anything that was incongruent with what I valued. Um, that helped me to create a framework of what I wanted, what I wanted right. in this new role and to help me get unstuck. So, yes, I, I think asking five whys is um, the um what what what's mostly talked about is using the five whys, but I kept going deeper. I was like, but why? But why? Kind of like a but toddler. Why? You have to be like yeah. your your inner toddler who keeps on asking why until you're red in the face and you're just like, because that's how it is. <laughs> but the toddler doesn't accept that as an answer. That toddler's gonna keep on asking why a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, that's that's kind of it, right? You kind of have to adopt the mindset of a child if you're doing something new, right? Um, because children like to experiment and explore. Everything is new and they have a, um, they're curious, right? They want to know why things are the way they are. They want, you know, um, they haven't learned enough to place a value positive or negative on anything yet, right? It just, it's experience, right? And so that's one of the things that you have to unlearn some stuff if you're going to explore a new opportunity, because sometimes that that hard won knowledge is actually getting in the way of a future opportunity, um, as I already alluded to. Right. If you're the expert in something and you're afraid of losing that. You probably are going to lose it at some point, um, you know, things change too fast in the technological world. Um, and that's one of the things that I had to um, realize for myself is I did not want to continue to pursue more advanced degrees and and more certificates and learn more and more computer languages and stuff. It's like, I can't stay current. I'm going to focus more on helping the people succeed because if I can do that, then I'll be successful. If I help others be successful, then I'm going to be successful. So if anyone is currently asking themselves all those whys right now, and they finally come to that final why or that final reason, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you with that final why? Or maybe they don't know how to ask themselves all those whys. And maybe right. they need someone to like you to ask them why and get down to the root cause. What's the best way to get in touch with you, Troy? Uh, so I'm easily found on LinkedIn. Um, that's one way to get in touch with me. Um, my business is TFH Transformations LLC. Uh, so if you search for that, you will easily find it. I also have a Facebook group called Purposeful Pathways for Mid-Career Mavericks. And that is uh, where um, other people that are um, in my circle of trust are uh, contributing Um their, their experience, their journey on, on 
um, finding more purposeful work for themselves in the middle of their career. Um, and I post a lot of stuff there. Um, and uh, I've got a blog that not sure what the address of it is yet. The team is still working on it and they haven't shared that with me, but that is something I was hoping was going to be live by the time we had this conversation. Uh, but it's a brand new site and um, and that's where I'll be posting additional articles and stuff. Um, um, excerpts from my yet to be published book, um, things like that. Awesome. Um, when you get me that link, we'll stick it in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, Hopefully I'll find out soon and then I'll be able to share that with you. And then that would be the easiest way to, uh, to, uh, get in touch with me and, and see if there's some aspect of my experience that could be helpful for people, um, that are in that, um, inflection point in their careers where, you know, you're kind of stranded on the mountaintop and don't know where to go. That's awesome, Troy. Again, great having you here and give yourself some leeway. And again, thank you for your time, despite the Florida storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, the weather behind me is not the weather that we're currently experiencing here in Florida, but it's it's that time of day where it's like you can set your watch by it and cue the thunderstorm. Um, but um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Eugene. This has been a, a really uh Excellent conversation, and I hope that anybody watching it gets lots of value from it because that's why we do it. <laughs> <laughs>